Liberty and Abby go for a walk. February 13th, 2017. And they never come home. They were taken from their families in a vile, senseless, disgusting, in a way that is hard to even explain. It's sad. It's sad because it's taken five and a half years. But here we are. We finally start putting the pieces together of what happened and who may be responsible. They were reported missing that evening, but an initial search turned up nothing. The next day, Tuesday, February 14th, law enforcement and volunteers from all across the area joined the search for Jermaine and Williams. People in the community were on edge. There was concern that two girls in a quiet community could go missing, and there was fear that something bad had happened. It wasn't until late on the 14th that police confirmed two bodies were found in an area along Deer Creek, just a ways east from the bridge. At the time, about 24 hours after they were reported missing, police would only confirm bodies were found and would not identify them. On February 15, 2017, police firm confirmed the two bodies found were those of the missing girls. This is a special episode of unwavering toxic masculinity from the dude's den. This episode is for Liberty and Abby. This is the Delphi Murders. Those words would ring through to a nation. Those words would be heard time and time again. There's video and audio. But what it shows is that a man with a cap, jacket, hands in his pocket, approaching the girls on the bridge, and he simply says, guys, down the hill. I can't imagine. I can't imagine the fear. The fear that went through these young girls. But Libby. To have the bravery. To have the foresight. To have the courage to put that phone in her pocket and record 
this man because evidently this man gave her the creeps. Evidently, she sensed something. The bravery behind that cannot nor should it ever, ever be forgotten. Liberty did everything she could do to lead investigators, police, the public to the vile, disgusting human being that did this. She did all that she could do to make it happen. As of last Friday, five and a half years, five and a half years after those babies had their lives ripped from them, her video, her audio, her bravery finally, finally brought a huge step forward in this case. Last Friday, 50-year-old Richard M. Allen was arrested and charged with two counts of murder in the deaths of Liberty and Abby. This episode of Unwavering, we discuss just that. All right, welcome. Um, <clears throat> today's a strange day. Today's podcast is a little different. Um, about two years ago, I was watching a YouTube channel. Uh, uh, the YouTube channel, the, the guy's name in the channel is uh, Mr. Ballin. And he has these different series of videos. He's absolutely my favorite follow on YouTube. I, I cannot watch anything else. I can't find anything else that is better. I have yet to come across a channel that is better than, uh, than John Bollett's. And again, the, the, the name of the channel is Mr. Bollett. M-R-B-A-L-L-E-N, Mr. Bollett. So he has a series of videos. Like he has a series of videos, which is a... Uh, uh, Top three disturbing photos with uh, top three photos with disturbing backstories. Top three videos with disturbing backstories, and there's, uh, you know, uh, you know, top three videos with disturbing backstories. Part one. It's three videos, and and in, in the videos, you know, 
in the segment, each video gets what he considered progressively worse. You know, three, two, one, number one being a worse video than two and three. So, um, <clears throat> so in a segment, uh, he did, it was a couple of years ago. Um, there was actually a, a odd thing too, was it was, it was, it was a snow in, like it was terrible weather and our business was closed for like five days. Other businesses were closed. Schools were out. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad around here, Northern Louisiana, you know, you get a little slushy rain and we all freak out. But but I kind of stumbled upon his channel during a week when normally I wouldn't have time to even look for something like that. But so I stumbled upon this channel and, and I stumbled upon this channel and I find, you know, all these different stories. And in... Uh, disturbing it's it's uh, uh top three videos with disturbing backstories part two the second video the, the second story is called down the hill and he talks about uh the libby and abby murders until up till then this was two years ago i'd never heard of this story but i remember it being midnight and, you know, I done watched all of the uh, photos with disturbing backstories. I done watched all of them. So now I'm on the videos, and I'm just, I mean, the guy's content is just amazing. He's such a great storyteller. I mean, just, he keeps you hanging on every word. It's amazing. And so I stumble upon this story, and when I hear it, immediately, and I'm not kidding, at midnight, I am in tears. I'm in tears because I have a granddaughter. Now, at the time, my granddaughter was 10, but all I did was picture her. All I did was picture her, 13 and 14. These babies' ages. These babies' ages, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry, the... Uh, all I could think was, what would I do? What, what would I do as a grandparent? How in the world would I be able to lay down and rest knowing that my granddaughter up on that bridge was murdered by some vile, disgusting waste of human space. And that, at the time, nobody had been apprehended for it. Nobody. How would I feel as a grandparent? What would that do to me as a neighbor? How would I be able to lay down every night? How, how does someone do that? It's beyond me the strength that these parents, these grandparents, how they get the strength to do just that. Today we're going to discuss a timeline of events. 
So as we said in the start, February 13th was a, a, a day like, kind of like it was here today. It was beautiful weather. It was gorgeous. Now it was a little cooler there, but it was actually unseasonably warm there. See, the night before, which was Sunday evening, on the local news in Delphi, Indiana, a town of 3,000, it was told that school would be out. They anticipated a pretty major snow event. Well, just like with this area, a lot of times the event that they plan for a call for doesn't take place. Well, it didn't happen. So the next day's Monday. School's already been called. These two girls decide, well, hey, let's go to the Monon High Bridge. And it seems to me, based on the research I've done, that getting your photo taken and walking across the Monon High Bridge is sort of like a rite of passage in that area. I mean, you're really cool if you're able to go to the bridge, take a photo, and post it. And it is. For all intents and purposes, it is an amazing photo opportunity it's placed. I don't know if I said that right. But it's a place where you can most definitely set in the right light and the right everything, just everything around you and the oldness, the antiqueness, the age of the bridge and the woods and the water. It, it is. It's simply, it, it can, I can see it making just absolutely stunning photos. So these girls were able to get one of their sisters, which is Kelsey. Um, they were able to get Kelsey to drop them off with the caveat that they had to get their way there, way back, right? So Kelsey takes them, and then they had lined up for one of their parent, one of their fathers to come pick them up. So Kelsey drops them off. A couple hours later, they're to be picked up. One of their dads shows up to the site. He had texted them or tried to call and, and to say, hey, I'm on my way. Uh, no response, no answer, whatever. He gets there, he waits, he texts, he calls, nothing. Now, as a dad, I can see that creating an issue right away. Like, hey, this is not normal. And he said, that's not normal. But nobody freaked out just yet. You know, maybe their phones went dead. Maybe they just lost track of time. Anything. I mean, they're two teenage girls. I mean, come on. When I was that age, the last thing I cared about was who was waiting on me up there. Like, I didn't care about their time. So, dad calls, you know, and he's like, you know, calls... Uh, back to the sister or one of their, their their grandmothers or whatever, well, somebody in the family that they live with, and was like, "Hey, did I get this time right? It, it, am I am I at the right spot?" And all that, and they're like, "Yeah, you. They should be there." So, dad gets out. And he he starts looking around a little, and sure enough, he calls other people, and they come out and they start looking around, and then next thing you know, that time of the year. It gets dark early, so when it gets dark and they haven't heard from them, 
that's when it sinks in that this is a problem. This is not good. So law enforcement volunteers from all across the area join the search. So on February 15, 2017, this was 24 hours or so after the bodies were found, police confirmed the two bodies were those of the missing girls. Now, in documents later released, an FBI agent noted that pieces of clothing from one of the victims were missing and that it appeared the girls' bodies were moved and staged. There were no visible signs of a struggle or fight. The agent suspected a souvenir had been taken by the killer and that it was common for perpetrators to memorialize the crime scene with pictures. The FBI agent said investigators did recover fibers and unidentified hairs at the crime scene. Later, on February 15, 2017, police revealed, and I'm so sorry I was pronouncing Liberty's name. I was saying Germaine, and, and I'm so sorry. Her last name is German. Uh, it was later, re- police later revealed that Liberty's phone was found. On it, police believed were images of the suspected killer. They showed a man coming across the bridge toward the girls. In those early days, and at times later, investigators looked at the man who owned property along the, 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 the route where the girls were found. For more than 50 years, Ronald Logan lived on County Road 300 north near the trail that leads to that Monon High Bridge. People walk up and down there with their children. It's quite a nice little trail and a bridge. It's a place people go. They take photos. It's, uh, but the area where the girl's body were found is hard to get to. I mean, you can't get there unless you walk there. Like, unless you no, you're setting out. I mean, it's one of those areas most people just don't stumble upon the area where these girls' bodies were found. Somebody had to be walking with them, telling them where to go. Logan's home was later searched. An FBI agent speculated about his possible involvement in the homicides, but no evidence was ever found linking Logan to the murders. Now that's interesting. I want you to remember that. Please. The FBI agent noted that 77-year-old Logan appeared to be in good physical condition and his voice was not inconsistent with that of the voice captured on Liberty's phone. The FBI agent also claimed that text messages sent to and from Logan's phone the evening of February 13th, now I want you to think about that. February 13th is the evening that the girls go missing. So February 13th, 2017 showed he was likely outside his home and in the proximity of where Liberty and Abby's bodies were located. The agent noted that Logan had been physically able to get up and down the hill from his home to the crime scene when he met with officers on February 17th. The agent was specific 
that they believe Logan could be involved with the murders. I believe there is probable cause to believe that Ronald Logan has committed the crime of murder and evidence of that could be found on Ronald Logan's property. Now that's extremely interesting. Everything in this case has been so tight-lipped. If police had been looking at Ronald Logan, if they have looked at him, if they had exhausted all efforts on Ronald Logan, we wouldn't know about it. Because I'll give, I'll give them credit in this. They have been diligent about not allowing anything to leak. This one FBI page, it leaked last year sometime. So it's one of the only things that really leaked out in this case. And for an investigation that's been ongoing this long, that is something to be said. Let me remind you that actually an arrest was made last Thursday. Okay, so let, let me get uh, let me let me get my calendar out so so I I, I can uh, make sure I'm correct. So last Thursday was October twenty seventh. So the arrest of 50-year-old Richard M. Allen was made last Thursday, October 27th. He was arraigned in court Friday morning, October 28th. That did not leak out. Like, very few people knew that that had happened. That's almost unheard of. In a case five and a half years after bodies were found that has rocked a community and a nation, I mean, there are countless podcast stories. There's a, there's a podcast devoted strictly to this crime called Down the Hill, the Delphi Murders. Headline News, HLN, did a two or three night series on these murders. I mean, this has been a heavily covered crime. So the fact that an arrest was made, an arraignment was had, a plea of not guilty was put in, and really, the world didn't know? They knew Friday that an arrest was made in connection. But not until Monday did we know that there was a, an arraignment and a plea. That is almost unheard of. So back to the timeline. On February 16th, the FBI got permission to search the entire property, including Logan's home, garage, his pickup truck, computer, cell phone, etc., so a previous search of Logan's home on February 16th for a parole violation noted he had numerous weapons, including handguns and knives. Now, here's an issue. Ronald Logan died in 2020 and was never officially named a suspect in the Delphi murders. On February 18th, 2017, so five days after the girls went missing, five days after their murders, but four days after their bodies were found, 
a memorial service was held for the girls. The community began mourning their loss. At the same time, drastic concerns about a killer possibly in the community remained, and they began to really heighten. A week later, on February 22, 2017, police released audio from Liberty's phone in which you hear a man say, Guys, down the hill. It wouldn't be until years later that we would learn the recording was 43 seconds long. So we get three and a half, four seconds of audio video of guys down the hill. So there is another 39 to 40 seconds that we know nothing. We don't know what's said. We don't know what's done. We don't know who says what. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine that's an easy 39, 40 seconds to listen to. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if there's just silence. I don't know what it is. But knowing what we know, even if it's silence, I can imagine that it has to be one of the toughest 39 to 40 seconds of even silence you would ever listen to, knowing what we know now, knowing the fate of these babies. It's got to be terrible. All right, so on March 9th, 2017, despite thousands of tips, and assistance from Indiana State Police and the FBI, there were no arrests and few developments beyond March 6th search of Logan's home had even been brought forth. So, after that search of Logan's home, there were no developments. Then on March 9th, police gave another update, and we heard from the family of Liberty German. Soon, a month had passed since the killings, and then weeks more. The girls' school memorialized them with benches. A charity game was held in their memory, but police were no closer to finding a killer. Then on July 17, 2017, so approximately four months, five months, uh, uh, March, April, June, July, four months, police released the first sketch of a suspect. And in, in, in look, if you go and you type in uh, Delphi murders, you can find these suspects, these sketches are going to be the first things to come forth because something strange about these sketches happens later. So on July 17th, police released a first sketch of a suspect. Now, when I look at it, it is exactly what I envision this piece of shit looking like in that grainy video. Like, I think this is very, very close. Very close. A flurry of tips then come pouring in 
But as police crossed off each one, no arrests were made. In September of 2017, the girls' families went to Dr. Oz pleading for tips and answers. So now it's one year after the killing, February 13, 2018. Delphi marked one year since the murders. The community came together with hopes for new tips and for justice for these two babies. There were no significant updates in the case for another year. There was speculation when other similar cases came up, but they never led to a connection with Delphi. So the case is going cold now. Then, on April 22nd, 2019, a little over two months after the murders, Indiana State Police released an updated sketch. This is where it got perplexing. Because it was vastly different than the first one. So if you go and you Google, you know, Delphi murder suspect sketches, you'll see the first one, the guy with the, with the short bill hat, with the goatee, with, with the kind of older, it looks like, again, what I thought that suspect would look like when I first saw that grainy video. But then, April 22nd, 2019, they released an updated sketch. It showed a much younger dude. The first one was kind of stringy, long hair sticking out from the hat. Goatee. Second one. So the, the first one looked like it had straight, long hair. Again, goatee. Second one looked like possibly half the age of the first one with curly hair. No goatee. Investigators also released additional audio of the suspected killer from Liberty's phone. Now, the extended audio, all it added was one more word. The initial audio released was down the hill. When they released in 2019 the additional audio, it was with the addition of the one extra word. Now, I know a lot of people, when you look online, you read these different blogs, you read these different forums and all these different places, you know, that there's a huge you know, complain about this. Now, I me mean, personally, I think one more word is greatly increasing the, the, the potential of catching someone. Another word is something. I mean, it, it, to me, it just, okay, it's not a lot, but it is something. It's something to more solidify the sound, the diction, the tone. And to me, it was important. Indiana State Police Doug Carter noted at the time that the killer was likely in the room or watching the news conference. This was, a, this was at the time 
of the second sketch released. They had a big press conference. Again, Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter noted at the time that the killer was likely in the room or watching the news conference. So to them, at that moment, they confirmed the one thing that I know a lot of us from outside looking in wondered, was this guy local? Was he somebody passing through? You know what? So Doug Carter confirmed that day that they believed, without a doubt, they believed that this person was local. Again, after that press conference, the new sketch, which looks vastly different than the first one, and the audio release, which is one extra word, tips came pouring in. But no arrest. Another year passed, and then another, until 2021, four years after the girl's death. And it was seeming like another year would slip by until December of 2021. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing. That's when police announced a possible break in the case. A fake social media account by the name of Anthony underscore Shots. I'm going to repeat that. Anthony underscore Shots was found to have communicated with Liberty shortly before the murders. The account was linked back to a man who lived about 30 minutes away and was a suspect in a child pornography case. So, that came up in December of 2021. Now, 2022, the case center around the individual for that individual with that account of Anthony underscore shots. It seemed to center around that individual for much of 2022. He was questioned but denied having any involvement in the Delphi killings. That man was never charged, but there was activity not far from his home in late summer, when late summer of this year, when a river near his home was searched. On October 26, law enforcement arrested 50-year-old Richard M. Allen. Delphi, Indiana. He was formally charged with two counts of felony murder on October 28th. He pled not guilty at the initial hearing slash arraignment. He was taken to White County Jail and is being held without bond. Allen's pre-trial conference is scheduled for January 13, and his trial is initially set for March 20th. I have never been more emotionally invested in a case than I am this one. I want you to imagine whether you're a dad or an uncle or a grandfather or a brother or a cousin or, or you know what, just a good human being. I want you to imagine I want you to imagine your neighbor having a 13, 14-year-old, a 12, a 13-year-old. And I want you to imagine 
them going for a walk, doing what teenagers since the dawn of time have done, and never coming back. And five and a half years would go by, almost six. And we would be no closer to knowing who the vile waste of space, the disgusting creature who would do this to two children. A person to do this to anybody for no reason. is a cockroach just in human form. But a person that does this to children is a special kind of vile cockroach, disgusting, pathetic, Weasel of a of 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 of, of a creature of a, of a just I can't wrap my head around what goes through someone's mind that allows them to do this to children. The facts of this case are all so. Tightly under lock and key. To this day, we don't know. I don't know. Uh, none of. I mean, somebody knows, of course. But the general public doesn't know if the two girls were assaulted, if you will. We don't know. We don't know if one of them had to sit and watch the other assaulted killed. But I want you to imagine that's your baby. I want you to imagine what it would be like if that's your baby. I mean... When I tell you that that gets to me, it, it that's not an act. It gets to me. My grandchildren, my daughter, they're my life. The friends that I have that have children, I consider those children like mine. And if somebody hurts them, I too will go to the edges of the earth to find the person that did it. 50-year-old Richard Allen was arrested Thursday. He was arraigned on Friday. And other than an incident in 2015, a domestic incident, 
in, in, in which police were called to just keep the peace. There is no prior convictions. There's no long rap sheet. Other than, I think, a speeding ticket or something, nothing. Now, a lot of photos and videos have been released from his wife's social media account. Keep in mind, also, they have a daughter. There's a photo of his daughter posted on his wife's social media account of her sitting on that bridge. The thing is, is his daughter is bone-chillingly so much almost a spitting image of one of these girls. It is scary. Scary. I tell you, um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine a wife and a daughter hearing the audio of a man saying, guys, down the hill, in an area where this murder happens, and less than 3,000 people, they have had to hear that over and over and over and over and over and over and over. See it many times? They've had to hear it that many times. They did not know that was him. That's what strikes me odd about this. When you see the video, and you see the video of a man walking on that bridge, somebody that knows him, a wife, a daughter, look at that and tell, that looks a lot like my dad. That looks a lot like my husband. I find that so uniquely hard to believe. I'm nobody. I'm just a guy in northern Louisiana that does a podcast that mainly is about politics. This case, this case has kept me wrapped up for years. Two podcasts ago, Rob Knight and I sit here in this room talking about that podcast. I mean, that this, this murder. Are these murders? We talked about how terrible it must be for these families. How you can have audio and a video of someone, but yet, Five and a half years, almost six years later, no justice. Nothing. Well, it seemed like at the time, we sat in this room talking about it, that police were a lot closer to making an arrest than a lot of us would ever know. Just more so proving that they have kept everything 
in this case, very, very close to home. When I say close to home, I don't mean just in the community because people in the community didn't even know. I mean in the investigation room. We live in a time and age where you cannot tell, you can't tell somebody, I can't look at a buddy of mine and purposely tell them a lie. And two hours later, him swear up and down, he ain't said a word, but 35 people know. So it's a very unique situation. It's a very, very troubling case. But now we are one step closer to being able to say justice served. But now it's extremely important. An arrest has been made. But we have to remember that in this country, And I don't care what people say. For the most part, there are exceptions, yes. Nothing is without imperfections. I joke all the time that nothing is perfect. Not even God. You want proof? Look at the flamingo. He put his kneecap on backwards. It was like, oh, I didn't mean to do that darn it, and just left it that way. Well, this is different. Nothing is without imperfections. And yes, there are imperfections in our justice system. But for the most part, our justice system, our justice system works. And it's very important that we remember, despite our emotion and our wanting to bring justice to these two babies and their families. That Richard M. Allen is innocent until proven guilty. Anything that people say, people post, people lie about, people anything could cause a problem in this case. Or any other cases, mind you. You know, if you post or say things that are untrue about other cases, you know, it can cause uh, rumors and those rumors to start running and it can cause problems in bringing to justice the real, real perpetrators, the real vile, disgusting maggots that commit these crimes. And I think the same goes here. And I think it's so important that we realize that we see someone arrested and our first instinct is emotionally to that yes that's him because I'm telling you that was the first thing I thought when I saw him was that's him I look at that photo I look at the still shot I look at the video I look that's him but I don't know that to be 100% true I know what my gut tells me Well, unfortunately, that's not going to work in today's justice system. So I think it's important that we have to be patient. That we have to understand things take time. And that it's very important that we be 
completely patient and mindful of any situation like this where we are looking for answers. I know this is something I am, when I'm telling you, I'm emotionally invested in this. I cannot say that enough. I've told my wife that I hope I'm alive when the day comes when they have made an arrest in the murders of Libby and Abby. And if I am, if I'm alive, when an arrest is made and a conviction is had, that I will. Call me crazy if you want to. It's okay. That I will go to that bridge. And that I will go to my knees. And I will pray. That somehow those families. Can maybe. Maybe. Then. Begin to heal. But they'll never truly heal. You don't go through this kind of pain for this amount of time for someone to be arrested and found guilty and then and then just, well, yep, you know, it may take a little while, but we're going to be fine. You know, we, we'll forget it, but this doesn't happen. The pain that they have had inflicted upon them will never go away. I believe, I do believe that it was Libby's grandfather. I'm trying to find his name. I mean, I followed so much of this, I cannot believe I don't know it. But it was Libby's grandfather. Uh, her grandmother and grandfather were her, her guardians, her legal guardians. But it was her grandfather that was asked yesterday, when 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 he and his his wife were were taking questions from from the uh, media, someone asked him, "Do you have anything you want to say to Richard Allen?" And he turned and looked at the camera, and he said, "Not at this time. I will save that for when I see him in person." And let me tell you, if you find that clip. And you see him say that, you believe it. You believe it. He does not look like a man that is to be toyed with. I hope and pray to God that none of you, myself included, ever, ever have to go through what this family has went through. I pray to God that we never have to experience that. And I said it was going to be difficult to do this, but I'm going to try to do it. But it brought me to begin thinking about all the other cases out there where parents have zero 
closure. Zero. They have nothing. They have no idea what happened to their son, their daughter, their grandchild, what, whatever, their, 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 their spouse. What, they don't know. They have nothing. And one case that I thought was uniquely strange uh, was, the, was the 2008 disappearance of Brandon Swanson. So Brandon was from Marshall, Minnesota. Uh, in, in 2008, uh, he was at home, and he was celebrating the end of spring semester. He was going to these different parties and whatnot, okay, with fellow students. Uh, he, he's, he, was, he was celebrating the end of spring semester, I believe, at uh, Minnesota West Community College and Technical Colleges. It can be campus, okay? I, um, so there are several different reports. But the majority of them say Brandon was fine. He had a drink or two, but he was not drunk. He was fine to drive, not an issue. So, Brandon leaves a party. And that evening, night, should I say, morning, really, uh, Brandon drove his car into a ditch on his way home. Now, what was odd he was unsure of his exact location. So, it's 2008. The young man is unsure of his location. But he is on the phone with his parents. He told them he believed he was near a town of Lind, L-Y-N-D, Lind, Minnesota. He was explaining to them where he was. So his parents, in the morning, you know, it's dark, it's 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, they get up, they load up. While Brandon's on the phone with them, they're heading to where he is. They get to the area where they believe he is, and they're like, hey, do you see us? We're, we're right here. And he's like, no. All right, we're flashing our lights. He's, he's like, no, uh, no, you got to be in the wrong place. So Brandon's dad, you know, said, well, son, you, you, maybe you told us the wrong direction. So they're kind of getting aggravated with each other. Like, no, I'm right here. I, I told you exactly where I'm going. You know, I mean, I'm told you exactly where I am. It, it, well, well, I'm telling you, I went exactly where you told me to. I'm flashing my lights. You should see me. You're not here. So after getting frustrated for a little bit, Swanson remained on the phone with them for 47 minutes. 47 minutes now. And he said, in the distance, he could see the lights of what looked like the town of Lind. And so he's like, you know what? I'm just going to walk there. I'm just going to walk into town. You know, come meet me there, whatever. 
on the phone with them for 47 minutes. And 47 minutes later, out of nowhere, Brandon says, Oh, shit. And the phone went dead. And Brandon has not been seen nor heard from since. I want you to imagine being the father or mother of this young man. And you hear, I don't care if he's 18 or not, 18, 19, whatever, you hear your child exclaim, oh shit, and then nothing else. And you still have not seen or heard a word from him. It's absolutely crazy to think. Um, so, you know, when Brandon said he, he finally was giving up on them finding him and that he was walking toward the lights that he could clearly, he believed was Lynn Minnesota. When his dad hears him say, oh, shit. And, um, and nothing else. Nothing, nothing. Now, Brandon said he was near what he thought was the town of Lind, Minnesota. That morning, the Lind police did a search, but found no trace of Brandon in or outside the town. They requested that the office of Lyon County, Sheriff Joe Dahl, assist them. To better focus the search, the sheriff's office obtained Brandon's cell phone records, which revealed that Brandon had been calling from the vicinity of Taunton along State Highway 68, the main route to Canby, northwest of Marshall, 25 miles from Lind. So Brandon says, I can see the lights of Lind. And then at some point later, oh shit, the phone goes dead. He has not been seen or heard from since, but he was saying Lind, Lind, Lind. And then searching that area, deputies discovered Brandon's abandoned car in a ditch off a gravel road along Lincoln County line, a mile north of Highway 68, bringing the investigation to a screeching halt, looking at each other going, he's nowhere near Lind. He's 25 miles from Lind. So, what were the lights he saw? Because they say at that time of night in the area where Brandon was, there are no lights anywhere to be seen. Nothing. There are no lights. But as Brandon's dad would state, 
he clearly said, I see the lights. I'm, I'm just going to head toward the lights of Lynn. That's got to be the town of Lynn. So what was it? What was it? And how is it that 14 years later, nothing, nothing has been found of Brandon. Brandon didn't mention passing fences and hearing water. So that gave theory to maybe he fell in a body of water. All the nearby bodies of water have been searched, scoured, dredged. They've been combed. Nothing. I mean, it's so odd to think. They set up a tip line. About 2015, 90 leads had been reported. But that port, by that point, when official searches resumed, the area of interest had moved toward Mud Creek, a tributary of the Yellow Medicine North and Northwest of Porter, Minnesota. There are several different theories. Um, when the trail followed by one of the dogs went to Yellow Medicine, and despite her son's last known words, Annette Swanson does not think he drowned there. After following the scent to the water, the dog continued up the gravel road where it continued north toward the Yellow Medicine County line and ended. There really is nothing to indicate he's in that river. Brian Swanson also recalls that any alcohol his son had consumed earlier the evening, notwithstanding, he did not seem disoriented or confused during their phone conversation. He seemed just as normal As he always did. They say if Swanson is still alive, there are other possibilities also. They appear very remote. He could have intentionally disappeared, but his parents do not believe he would have done that. Nobody rules out foul play, even though there's no evidence of it, because there's no evidence at all. There's a law called Brandon's Law. After the searches, Annette Swanson was still struck by the initial response of Lynn police that her son had the right to be missing. When she told them how old he was, I'm his mother. I knew something was horribly wrong, she later recalled. She and Brian began lobbying for changes in state law that would require an investigation into the case of a missing adult to begin as soon as it is reported much as was already required in cases of possibly adopted children. Annette met with Marty Seifert, minority leader of the State House of Representatives at the time, whose district included Marshall, in a local restaurant. The two talked about the problem she had experienced with the police when she reported her son missing. She knew it wouldn't help in her son's case, but that it could help in others in the future. Seifert recalled this conversation in 2015. Seifert introduced a bill called Brandon's Law that would make it the required change by amending the law governing the state's existing missing child program to change the word child to person. 
He recalled considerable resistance at first from the state's law enforcement community as it was developed in committee. Part of it had to do with privacy, especially regarding cell phones. He told the Marshall Independent, technology was emerging then. So there was discussions about privacy and when they can ping you and when they and when can't they ping you. So the effect of the change also required the police, in addition to determining in their preliminary investigation that the reported person is indeed missing, determine whether the person is potentially in dangerous circumstances. This must also they must also notify nearby law enforcement agencies promptly. Brandon's law also clarifies the agency taking the report is the lead agency investigating the case. The absence of that distinction had created some problems in the later phases of the initial search when three different counties got involved. Police were no longer allowed to refuse a report based on the initial belief that no criminal activity was involved. The brevity of the interval since the person was last seen, the possibility that the person may have intentionally disappeared, or the lack of relationship between the missing person and the person reporting. Following the governor's signature, the law took effect at the beginning of July 2009. Four other states have passed similar laws. Seifert left the legislature in 2010, but he still has the pen Paulenti used to sign the bill into law. I consider it one of the most important bills I've authored in my 14 years, and it will save lives. So the question is, Brandon's on the phone with his dad. I'm heading toward Lind. Okay, I see the lights of Lind. Here I am. Oh, shit, nothing. Everything goes to black. No sound, no anything. What did Brandon see? Why did he think he was where he was, and what did he see? The problem is we'll never know it. That's the horror of the case. We hope and pray, now that arrest has been made in the Delphine murders, we hope and pray they have their guy. We hope that the person they arrested is their guy. Let's be completely honest. 99.9% of that is for the families of those babies. But then there's that 0.1% that we hope a wrong arrest wasn't made and this guy's life's not completely ruined because of a false arrest. But if it's not, and the police have their guy, and then they have their guy, and he's found guilty. Then the parents, the grandparents, the friends, the family, the community, they can begin finding some bit of ability, some to closure. They can begin to maybe, maybe lay down at night and know that if nothing else, justice has been served and that the deaths 
of their sweet, sweet babies. Is not unanswered forever. They know that everything those babies had to go through is not for nothing. That maybe the vile, disgusting creature that did it can begin paying his debt to society. And me, I'm one of those that truly believe the only way he pays his debt, whoever it is, is to die. I believe that is the way he pays his debt. But that being said, the parents of Brandon Swanson They've not received the first inkling of hope. And although we know not to ever say never, because you never know what could happen, it honestly looks like they may never receive hope. It's been said that the Swansons never, never turn their front porch light off. And then it's always left on in the hopes that when Brandon walks up and sees it, he knows that it's on for them, for him. He knows that they, his parents, have left that front porch light on because they're waiting for him to come home. So today, you know, when we look around and we gripe and we complain, and I'm guilty of it, I'm the most guilty person ever. I just had a business that closed, and man, you would think it's the end of the world. And you know what? It's, it's, been, a, it's been a tough go. I have to tell myself that it's nothing. That it's nothing in comparison to what people that you may pass tomorrow you may walk past somebody in a store and just it appears like they have everything together you don't know what battles they're fighting you don't know what demons they are struggling with every day you don't know the loved one they lost the child that's missing we don't know So I hope things like this can remind us and that we don't, we don't have it as bad as it could be. There are people out there that are experiencing pain unlike any idea of what can be explained. And it's easy for me to sit here and say today that I pray for the families of Libby and Abby and Brandon. It's so many like them, but I do. I find myself at time when, when I have my time with God 
that I truly allowed, talk to him and say, God, I hope you can give me the strength to be as strong for my family when I go through the things I go through that these families are to be able to go through what they have been through and still find hope. I hope and pray that all these families find their peace. I cannot imagine what they go through. I can't. Uh, I know this podcast has been a little different. Um, I hope um, I, I hope you have found this one um I hope you found this one to be exactly what I hoped it would be, and that would be just a reminder that somebody out there has got it worse. And maybe we need to stop, take a breath, and not think about ourselves as having it the worst situations in the world. And maybe, just maybe today, we can start realizing that a kind word, a nod, holding the door, picking something up for someone, something, something can be the difference in people losing all hope for humanity because of the battle they're fighting. That you can be a reason that somebody looks up and goes, okay, I know it's the smallest of thing that he held the door open for me or she held the door open for me. Or, but it does. It, it gives me hope. There are good people out there. I believe there are. I believe there are. All right. Love you guys. I'm not going to say nothing else. Until next time.